everyone, welcome to the Gatekeepers Podcast. In this episode, Billy Humphrey dives into what it looks like to fight for another's destiny. If you want to know more about Gatekeepers, visit gatecityatl.com slash gatekeepers. Enjoy. All right, so talking about fighting for another's destiny, um, John 17, let's go ahead and just turn over there in your devi- on your device or your Bible. Anybody got a paper Bible? Ooh, woo! Did Casey, like, go hard on y'all having paper Bibles? Like that, he came back. Hey, we got your seat for you. Yes. I'm here for it too, bro. Come on. Yeah. For those of y'all that don't know what we're talking about, I rubbed his face involuntarily last week. It's a part of the message. It was anointed. And halfway through, I was like, whoa, you're not a first-time visitor, right? <laughs> He's like, nope. All right. John 17. <clears throat> John 17. Um... Off the top of your head, John 17, does that strike a chord? It's Jesus praying. It's a really important chapter. It's before Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's going to be arrested in a few hours. So let me ask you this. If you were praying right before you're about to be arrested, you know you're about to be arrested and killed within 48 hours, what are you going to pray? Some frothy cotton candy prayer? Or like the most deep guttural stuff in your heart, right? So this is Jesus. This is known as the high priestly prayer. It's John 17. It's the last, it's Thursday. It's right before he's about to be crucified within, you know, and die within 48 hours. And so he's pouring out his guts to the Father. And what's interesting about it is he just, he's got all of his disciples with him. And he just looks up to heaven and he starts talking. It says he lifted his eyes and started you know, speaking to the Father. So he's, he's showing them what it's like when he talks to Abba. He's bringing them into that. And so, uh, gosh, shameless plug, so sorry. This is just on my mind. Uh, do, do you guys ever listen to me and Corey's podcast, Gripped? Do y'all ever? I would encourage, negative, negative. <laughs> Alvin hurt a little bit, that's how you said that. There's a little energy there was some negative energy there. I felt that. I'll stay right on the side. It's okay. Whew. Whew. Just getting my inner healing back. All right, no, no, it's fine. If you don't, that's fine. But I would just say this last season, what Corey and I did was we spent 10 hours talking about John 13 to 17. And so it's, it's life-giving. It'll, it'll, it'll move you. The other thing, again, shameless plug, I don't get any money out of anything, but I do this to serve people. I have a blog that I write, and we post something, at least, what, every other week? Probably every other week. And the, I, was, I meant to say this before I started preaching tonight. And I just wrote a, bo- a, bog, a blog on uh, something really good. Eight keys to a consistent prayer life. Eight keys to a consistent prayer life. Eight keys to a consistent prayer life. And so... <laughs> Yeah, you can just go to my website, billyhumphrey.com. My blog is there. Check it out. You don't have to subscribe or nothing. But the eight keys to a consistent prayer life, I thought, would be a really helpful little, it's a thousand words, just a really helpful little one, two, three, four, five, seven, eight, just for you guys. So, all right, just that. All right, John 17. Um, Jesus pouring out his life, pouring out his heart. It's about to be arrested, about to be killed. And he prays the deepest, I call them, these are the deepest drippings of the heart of the Son of God. And he says this, verse 20. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Oh, it's so good that they may be one, they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. That the world may believe that you sent me. So, I like this because, um, first point right there. I mean, if you ever wondered if Jesus 
if we've got any record of Jesus thinking about you in the Bible, this is it. He goes, I'm not, he's talking to the Father. He says, I'm not just praying for these guys that are with me right here, but I'm praying for every single one who will believe in me through their word. He's looking down through all the generations of believers that are going to come, and you and I are in his mind. This is Jesus praying for you. So cool. We know he's at the right hand of the Father right now. He's ever living to make intercession for us. But he's literally praying this prayer for us. Every person that would believe in him through the disciples' testimony, which has now spread all over the earth, right? And so we are in the crosshairs of this prayer. And he prays this thing, and, and I call this Jesus' plan for love and unity. Jesus' plan for love and unity. He says, I want, Father, I'm asking that they would all be one as you and I are one. Okay, inside the Godhead, inside the relationship within the Godhead, that's the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, there is perfect oneness. I don't even like the word unity because it doesn't actually describe it fully because unity would mean they were separate parts that came together. That's unity. But oneness means they're all one, which is what the Trinity is. It's all one. God is all one. He's three in one. It's a divine mystery. But within the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Spirit, there is this relationship of perfect love and perfect unity that exists and has existed from forever. He says, I want that relationship of perfect love and perfect unity, I want that to be the relationship that all who believe in me from here on out have with one another. That's, I mean, that is, whoa, that's way up there, right? That's like so intense. You're like, I've got, wait, that's so intense, so challenging. I've got four friends, and I don't even like, like, one of them. <laughs> like, not really. I mean, I count them, but, you know. I mean, you know, he goes, I want them all to love one another. You can laugh at that. If you're, if you're, and if your fourth-wheel friend is near you, it's like, it's okay. It's okay. We just... There's, there's, listen, there's, there's liberty here. There's freedom tonight. There's grace, okay? I could, I could sense that pregnant silence in the room was like. I can't say amen because. <laughs> but just that idea that he says, I want you to relate with one another in love and oneness. I want all of you. I'm praying for that, Father. They would all relate in love and oneness with one another, just like you and I do. Is Jesus ever at odds with the Father? There is one time in the Bible when he was. Anybody know it? Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will. You said it. Not my will, but yours be done. And as a man, he had to submit himself to the will of the Father. It's the only time we ever see any distance between the Son of God and God the Father and the Holy Spirit. He recognizes human inclinations trying to protect him from death. Right? But he said, no, I want what you want. And for one millisecond, the temptation was to, to sever that unity, but he came right back under and submitted, didn't he? Thank God, because where would we be? Beautiful, right? But he goes, I want them to have that. Now, we go, you know, that, that's nice and kumbaya and yay, everybody's going to get along, whatever. But this, I mean, this is one of the most shocking colossal style prayers. Like, I mean, this is like only God can do this, right? Only God can bring about love and unity at this level in, in, the, in the church. Only God can do that. And I would just say this, because it's the Son of God praying to the Father God, while the Son of God was on the earth, this is not simply a prayer, this is a prophecy. 
Because Jesus' intercessions don't go unanswered, do they? No, this is a prophecy of where the church will go in this age before this thing is wrapped up on this side, on this side of the Lord's return. Uh, So I want to say this. Because he prayed this, we are coming to this place. We are coming to full unity and full love, full oneness in the body. Watch this. Across cultures, across generations, male and female, across all sorts of cultural divides. And in America, I get it, like the, the issues of American racism seem to be the thing that are at the, at the top of the mountain and the most divisive issues in America. But let me just say something to you. What is divisive in America, like with American racism, that is minor league baby kindergarten stuff compared to the global divide between Gentile and Jew, specifically Muslim and Jew. And Jesus is going to be, he's going to bring oneness between Arab and Jewish believers on this side before the Lord returns. This is where it's going. Massive love, massive unity, oneness among the, among the, uh, the, the body, uh, among the community of faith. And it's not, gonna con- it's not gonna happen when we're all isolated in our own shell, keeping everybody out and not letting people know what we're really like. It's only gonna come when we're vulnerable enough to share with everybody not the whole world, not on Facebook, not on, y'all don't do Facebook, TikTok, not on that, but when we're able to share openly our, our, our W's and our L's, like really, like just that we can quit posturing about how awesome we are. I'm, you know, I'm so like, I'm watching this trend with social media, like social media, it just exploded over the last 15 years. And it's becoming less popular. I'm watching it become less popular because everybody gets, nobody's t- telling truth stuff. So then once people realize they're not telling truth, then you got these, all these truth tellers and they're like exhibitionally telling everything about their whole life. And you're like, I don't know if I really want to know all that about you because I don't know you. I just know your videos and dang, can't believe you said that. But there's something about me and my top five or top 10 and they know me. And they know my wins, and they know my losses, and they know my strengths, and they know my weaknesses. And when they see me in my best moment, and when they see me in my worst, they're, they're not freaked. They don't improper, properly exalt me. And they don't, when I do poorly, they don't uh, improperly shame me because my heart, li- I, I try to live with an open heart. That's what Jesus was praying for in John 17, and that's where it's going And the Lord's going to help us get there with massive stuff from the Holy Spirit. And ready, he's going to help us get there with persecution. I'm just saying, like, if right now some terrorist organization stormed the building and we were locked in this room, we would get really tight really fast and be really excited about each other. (laughs) Like like that fourth wheel person, you'd be like, I love you so much. I just love you. Like, you... (laughs) There would be no division between any of us. Have I ever told you I know we're about to all die, but you're the best person I've ever been like, We would just be there. It would be instant. Unity. Persecution begets it. So this is Jesus' plan. And I want to just tell you, this is one of my favorite things about the Bible, that we get tomorrow's headlines today. This is what's coming to the church. Unity. Unity in the body. The things that divide us in America are going to, they're going to dissolve in the body. Political agendas and social agendas, tensions across cultures and generational things. He's going to dissolve all of that and bring us to love and unity. It's so beautiful. It's true. All right, so that's the Lord's plan. That's where it's going. That's tomorrow's headlines. Sounds like a good thing, right? Cool. Now let me show you the enemy's plan. Because it's always exactly opposite. It's always the exact opposite. So, Matthew 24. Go ahead and flip on over there in your paper, Bible, or device.
Matthew 24. If you don't know, Matthew 24 is Jesus' most detailed teaching on the end times. And he, he does Matthew 24, if you're a Bible note taker person, Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13. Luke 21, Mark 13, Matthew 24. Mark 13, Luke 21, Matthew 24. Those three passages are all the same. Mark 13, Luke 21, Matthew 24. And he did that, he did that teaching um, on Tuesday night. And then John 13 to 17 comes on Thursday night of his, the last week of his life. All right? So he stirs up a hornet's nest on Tuesday, and then he answers those questions that he brings up on Thursday in a lot of ways. So he does end times, and then he does how you're going to live through challenges, persecution, through his crucifixion, all these points on Thursday night. So one of the things he, he defines is how persecution is going to hit the church. All right, now watch this. Matthew 24, uh, verse 9, I'll read the second part. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake, and then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. You're like, dude, I had a hard week. I just wanted to get uplifted. Why don't I come to gatekeepers tonight? Why are you going to tell me everybody's going to hate me? Because it's reality. This is the denarius we signed up for. We didn't sign up for Jesus to make us go viral as a Christian pop singer. We signed up to be loved by God and hated by everyone that opposes him. That's ultimately where it's going. It's not that way exactly in America right now, but in many parts of the world, it is that way. Uh, there's many countries in the earth where you can't even preach the gospel, and, and you, can't, you could definitely not convert anybody to Christianity. And then you and I, we have brothers and sisters in uh, many nations right now who are in jail because they love Jesus. They're not in jail because they're murderers or thieves. They're not in jail because they've done anything that's actually, you know, what we would think of as breaking law. They're in jail because they love Jesus. And so they're experiencing, in a very small measure, what's about to hit the whole planet at the end of the age. And what it is is a global hatred for the man Christ Jesus a global hatred for anybody that follows him, and a global hatred for the nation of Israel, for any Jew, okay? Now, I know when you signed up to Jesus, for Jesus, you weren't necessarily knowing that was part of the whole thing, but it is. It really is. And so this is where it's going, gang. Like, just, like, we need to just get our big boy pants on right now because this is where it's going. And uh, look at what happens. Look at the way this thing plays out. All nations are going to hate you, he says, for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Wait, many will be offended, betray one another, and hate one another. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Christians. Last week, we were talking about coming out of narcissism, coming out of self at the center. When your expectations and your experience don't match, that's a place where complaint and offense festers, right? And so what happens is this. I didn't sign up for everybody to hate me. I signed up to be loved. I didn't sign up for any suffering. I signed up for only blessing. So when everybody turns against you because you love Jesus, the question is, does Jesus go back in your pocket like a little rabbit's foot, little mascot, or do you still keep flying the flag of your Lord and Savior, your best friend, your lover? Do you still keep flying his flag no matter hell or high water, what comes? And so when Christians don't put Jesus in their pocket, this is where it's going. The global context is going to all nations are going to hate Christians, but here's what's going to happen. There's going to be a segment that are going to say, I didn't sign up for this. This isn't why I got saved. This offends me. And that offense 
is going to lead them right into betrayal. Who are they betraying? Their own brothers and sisters. Many will then be offended, betray one another, and the love that Jesus prayed for for believers to have will then be turned into hate one another. Do you see it? There is going to be an entire group that comes to the truth of love and oneness in the body of Christ. And simultaneously to that, there's an entire group that's going to be offended, get into betrayal, and get into hatred. This, these are the two kinds of wheat that are growing up at the end of the age. All right? Now, I don't share that with you to scare you. I share that with you to get you to have some understanding, to get the lights to go on. Because here's the very, very, very important point. If I'm offended now because I left my milk on my Wheaties too long, or that's probably not a good example. Uh, You're like, I don't eat Wheaties and milk on it, and I don't know why that'd be offensive, and it's oat milk anyway. No, if I get offended now because someone walked past me and didn't say hello, they didn't see me, and they didn't, if I'm offended at that, what happens when the whole world turns against Christians? If, if the threshold for my level of offense is down here, what happens when real rage and hatred fills the nations against Christians? Exactly. Punctuation. Jeremiah said it this way, if you can't run with the footman, how will you run with the horseman? And so I'm telling you that because Jesus' plan is beautiful. The enemy's plan is horrifying. And and what's difficult about it is believers are going to actually find themselves swept into the enemy's plan. And this is one of the things that's hard for me to swallow. It's just pain in my heart because I spend my life mostly talking to believers about how to grow mature in Christ and how to fall in love with Jesus and how to love one another and how to, you know, share what they've got with God with others. But what's, what's coming is this, that the enemy is going to weaponize believers against believers. Through offense. That's coming. It's going to turn into hatred. So hatred that divides. Jesus wants love that unifies. And so we've got to recognize the attack of the enemy now so we can fortify our hearts in love now so that we're able to stand at a time that it's heightened. And I don't know if the Lord's coming back in 100 years or 10 years or what, but I know this, that if I've got measures of offense, and I'm given to talking negatively about my friend behind their back or thinking negative thoughts and listening to the accusations about the enemy about others when when he starts speaking into my ear. If I'm given to that now, what happens in a time when the heat is on and betrayal is filling the culture? Who would I be in in that time? Am I making sense? I want it rooted out of me now. I refuse to talk bad about other people. You can ask my kids, you can ask my wife, you can ask anybody that's lived at our house. I just don't do it, I won't do it. Because that's where the enemy is going to have a field day with Christians. He's gonna weaponize Christians against one another. Slanderous, accusational, backbiting, that kind of mess, that is all the activity of the enemy. And we are called to love one another like the Father and the Son love one another. You can see the the contrast, right? You can see these things are perpendicular. They don't match. The enemy's activity and, and Jesus' activity are completely opposite. So look at John 15. I need to cover up more ground more quickly. You guys need to listen a little faster, okay? John 15, I just, I like when your eyes see the verses. It it helps me, I don't know if it helps you, but it helps me when I'm looking at them, when I read them. 
John 15, 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. Everybody say, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept the Father's commandments and I abide in his love. I, I hear that. I go, okay, Jesus. Okay, Jesus, I want to abide in your love. How do, I, how do I abide in your love? He goes, keep my commandments. I go, okay, okay. What's your commandments? These things I have spoken to you. You know, he's going to tell us that my joy may remain in you. He goes, I'm going to give you commandments. He goes, I've given you commandments and they're to make you joyful and that your joy may be full. All right, verse 12. You, you're telling me you're going to tell me what your commandments are. Tell me, tell me. He goes, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Interesting. Love one another as I have loved you. This is my commandment. And then he says this, next phrase is off the chart. Greater love is no man than this than he laid down his life for his friends. Off the charts. Greater love has no one than this than he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. I go, wait a minute, I feel like you're putting me in a circular thing, right? Because he goes, abide in my love, and you'll abide in my love if you do what I command. And I go, okay, what's your command? He goes, love one another. And I go, oh, I'm bad at that. I'm bad at that. I've got to, wait a minute, I've got to abide in your love. See, the only way I can love you is if I know how much he loves me. See, we love him because he first loved us, but we love one another because he first loved us. There's no other way for me to actually love you unless the love of God fills me so much, now it's flowing out of me and into you. That's the only way I can actually do love. The alternate is this. I learn what love looks like, and I try to act like what love is, but I don't actually have love in my heart, and the moment that it gets tested, I don't really love you. I just sort of leave you. Did y'all hear that? I'm preaching faster than y'all are listening. You learn what love looks like. You act like what love is. But when the pressure comes on, because it's not born out of you knowing God's love for you, instead of loving you through pressure, I leave you through it. Does it make sense what I'm saying? Y'all are quiet tonight. It's okay. Quiet. Quiet could be good. Just ask most introverted people. It's a good thing. Is that Shelly? <laughs> she goes, woo. Was it, was it Marissa? Oh, Marissa. Here's our, our challenge. In Christianity, oftentimes in church, we're taught what something looks like, so we start to emulate it without the actuality of it in our heart. And so when pressure comes on, we, we quit replicating what we've been taught, and we're just back to us. Because our heart hadn't been transformed by love, so we don't know how to love. Have you ever noticed it's easy to love when you feel awesome? I love everybody. It's the best day ever. Everything's awesome. You're awesome. You're awesome. I love you. I love your hat. Oh, I love you. But a tornado hits and that hat sucks. You know, it, it just like transforms us. That was just an example. I don't think your hat sucks. Just, I think I actually have that. <clears throat> but do you see my point? So often we're saying, I love everybody, but really we love me because me feels so good right now that I can love everybody else, right? He says the pinnacle of love is laying yourself down for other people. That's the pinnacle. Greater love has no man than this than he laid down his life for his friends. The height of love is laying yourself down for someone else, preferring them, their dreams, th their desires over yours, laying yourself down on their behalf so that they can get what God wants for them over you getting what you want for you. So intense, right? Like when I stare at that one, I go, I'm real bad at this. I'm, I'm really, the only way I can do this is if I know how you love me. And he, he's, trapped us, right? Because Jesus loves us 
so much that he laid himself down for us so that we would love each other the same way he loved us by laying our lives down for one another. Does that make sense? I just want you to catch this. The pinnacle of human experience is not being overstated. The highest experience between humans is when a weak, broken human being loves another weak, broken human being in purity. That's the height of human experience. When the love of God so transforms and moves inside the heart of a weak, broken human that you, who are weak and broken and would never choose love on your own, choose love and you love someone else who's weak and broken and prone to failure just like you, but you do love them. That's the height of human experience. When love has its way inside of you and you love someone above yourself. That's the pinnacle. It's the highest achievement in the human spirit. And I just want you to catch this. In John 13, Jesus commands his disciples to love one another. It's the same conversation, and by John 15, he's commanding them to love one another. Why would Jesus reiterate himself? Why would he tell those guys, he just commanded them, He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And then a breath or so later, he's going, now I command you, do what I've commanded. I command you, love one another. What is happening with Jesus? First of all, it's not a new commandment at all because we already have the command that we're to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. We already have that one. So how is this even a new commandment? Yeah, there's the as I love you component, but he's localizing it. He's making it for the team. Because on the team are dudes who would never get along with one another. How many love the chosen? Hey. So you know how, if you, if you don't love the chosen, that's fine. We're good with you too. We love you. We're in unity and love. Amen, amen, amen. No, but... In that, in that uh, series, it, it pulls out this point, it elucidates this point that like Matthew, a tax collector, and Simon, the zealot, would never have been bros. And they would not have been bros, but they would never have even talked to one another. In fact, Simon, the zealot, would have just been happy to kill Matthew, the tax collector, because he's a sellout to Rome, and Rome is oppressing the Jews. And the zealots are trying to basically take out the Romans to restore Israel's sovereignty to itself. So those guys would have never been on the same team. They would have never been at a meal together. They would have never been in the same room. They would have never been with one another. And so Jesus looks around the table. He's got fishermen. He's got tax collector. He's got zealots. He's got all sorts of dudes that would never have been on each other's team. He goes, I'm giving you guys a new commandment, love one another, because Jesus knew this. Listen, he knew that when he left, there would be nothing to unify them, nothing to hold them together. It would only be his command that they should love one another, because otherwise, when the Son of God dies on the cross in front of you, a bloody mess who's been mangled by the Romans, everything for your last three and a half years doesn't make sense, and definitely not that dude that you don't even like. He goes, I'm commanding you to love one another. And he goes, greater love is knowing this. He laid on his life as his friends. He knows those guys will fray. Because here's what's coming. In one half a second, they're going to have the whole conversation. Someone sitting at the table tonight is going to betray me. What? What? They all ask, who, 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 who? Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? It's the guy who I dip the bread in the sop with. Boom. It's Judas. Nobody notices. But here's what happens in just a short moment. Jesus is going to get arrested. Simon's going to follow. Simon's going to go to the courtyard. John's following too. 
Here's what happens. Peter denies Jesus to a servant girl. Three times that very night, they see Peter deny Jesus. There's got to be this thing between, is it Peter? Because remember, Jesus has said, listen, before tonight's over, you're going to deny me three times. So they've got that in their head before Judas shows up with the army. So they're like, man, Peter's going to deny him. Somebody's going to dip in the thing. It's like clue. It's like, who done it? Who's in here? You know? And they're looking around at each other like, what was really tight a minute ago? We were all having fun. We were casting out demons. We were healing the sick. We were doing all stuff together. Now it's like, wait a minute. This, is, this is sucks. Like, somebody in here is like really bad wrong. Peter, who I thought was strong, is not strong. He's going to deny Jesus. Maybe he's the betrayer. Who knows how this goes? Peter does the denial. Judas does the betrayal. And Jesus ends up with spikes through his wrists and his ankles because none of his dudes stand for him. At least that's the way you would have processed it. All of that context would have brought about this sense of, I can't ride with these dudes. Jesus is raised from the dead. Peter sees him. The whole thing happens. Everybody gets encountered. But what we find when you follow the story is Peter is, he is bending under shame. He is breaking under shame. And so by John 21, Peter goes back to fishing. All right, I want you to look at this in your scripture. Get, get, your, get your device. Look at John 20. I want to show you something. It's my observation. Do with it what you think. But in my Bible, in New King James, there's a heading right before verse 30. And it says, the purpose of this book. In John chapter 20, right before verse 30. Anybody have that heading? I'm just wondering. Yep, some of y'all. Okay, cool. So that would be a sign that we're ending the book, right? And we're getting a summary. Correct? Wouldn't that be? This is what the book was written for. And read it. Let's read these verses. Verse 30. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Verse 31. But these are written that you may know that, you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Man, if I'm going to end it, right there. There's a lot more stuff that he did. It's not even written in this book. But these are written so you can believe and have life in his name. <laughs> end of story. Right? But there's a whole other chapter, and this is what I believe. I believe the Holy Spirit taps John on the shoulder and goes, that's not the end of the book. Tell the whole Peter thing. And I think John, at this point, he's older, he's writing this gospel account. He's thinking about his bud, Peter, and they were very close. Peter, James, and John were the tight three. And he goes, oh, dude, you want me to tell that? He goes, yeah, tell that. Because we've already seen Peter's denial but here comes Peter's restoration. Now watch this. After these things, verse 1, chapter 21, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, that's the Sea of Galilee. And this is how he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. Okay, let me help you with something. First of all, you don't go leisure fishing at night. Peter has quit. The reason why Peter is going fishing is because he's gone back to being a fisherman. That's the only reason you would go out on a fishing boat that can hold seven dudes and fish all night. Because you're going to catch fish and you're going to sell those fish at market and you're going to use that as your, for your livelihood. Peter has gone fishing, not for fun, because he's changing back to being a fisherman. Point two. Simon, Thomas, Nathaniel... Sons of Zebedee's and two others. There's seven of them. Out of the seven, three of them are fishermen. Four of those dudes don't know how to fish a lick. 
why are the other six dudes with Peter? Peter's quit. He quit coming to gatekeepers. He said, I can't take it. I denied Jesus. I can't do this. I failed. I'm a failure. He's bending under shame. He's breaking under shame. He's melting because they all saw his junk. They all saw it. Jesus called him out. He denied the servant girl, denied Jesus in front of the servant girl and the others. This is bad. He's just like, in, in his mind, he's one step less than Judas. I mean, Judas got the army and everything, but Peter would have been right there with him, basically. That's how he's thinking. These six dudes, four of which are not fishermen, are going with him to go fishing. What are they doing? You don't just show up and start fishing. Like, if you're from Canaan of Galilee, you like do, Canaan of Galilee, you do like wine. You do like vineyards or olives or something. You're, you don't go start like doing fishing nets. It's not your thing. You can't. Why? 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 This is my commandment that you love one another. Greater love has no man than this, and he laid down his life for his friend. And those dudes follow Peter into that boat and fish all night for nothing. Because they're following Jesus' command to love and lay down their life for Peter when he's at his worst. That's the only reason they'd be in that boat. Peter, you're going fishing? Well, guess what? We're coming with you. We're going to ride with you no matter what. We're going to fight with you to the end because we know this isn't who you are. We saw you when you were doing those miracles. We saw you when you were you know, so bold for the Lord. We saw you. We know who you are. We are not letting you go. And if it means we're going to fish with you, then that's what we're going to do. And what happens is this. Jesus calls them out, tells them to cast the net on the other side of the boat. And this is so stunning because they have a massive catch of fish, right? And when you go back in the Gospels and you remember that when, they were, when Peter was first called into the ministry, there was a massive catch of fish. And now he's quit, but Jesus hasn't quit. And he recalls him with the exact same miracle that he called him in the first time. He starts it over for Peter brand new. And it's the brothers, it's the bros that choose to love Peter in spite of his failure in the face of all the mess that get in the boat with him to, to obey the command to love, and it's Jesus moving right in on top of that. Listen, you have no idea what your choice to lay yourself down for someone else, how that will, how that will bring the grace and the love of God to that person. My wife and I were youth pastors for years. There was this um, young lady who... Um, her family was in our, our youth ministry. Her and, and her, her brothers were in our youth ministry. And, you know, we would just make it a habit of wherever the kids worked, wherever they went to school, we'd just show up unannounced. We'd just pop in, ta-da, hi, oh. you know, just stupid. And we showed up at this young lady's house, or showed up at this young lady's work, and, um, and we just greeted her. She was bag, doing bags, groceries, you know. Greet her, hey, how are you? Love you so much. Just want to come say hi. What's going on? Da, 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 stupid. And we left. You know, we were being stupid, not her. And we left. It was five minutes, maybe. Yeah, we left, but we just wanted her to know we loved her. We just cared about her and just wanted her to know she was important. Yeah, her suicide note was already written. She told God, unless you do something today, I'm going to kill myself. She's full-time in ministry to this day. Impacted hundreds of other people. And that's not, oh, look how great we are. We went to Publix. No, it's just like the most minimal step outside of our little schedule, our little time, and our little thing. And Jesus rode in on top of that, delivered her from suicide, 
delivered her from a bunch of stuff. She gets totally healed. She gets commissioned, called into ministry. And she impacts hundreds and hundreds of people after that. And you just don't know who needs you right now to fight for them. And I want to ask you something. I don't, don't take this bad, but who are you fighting for? Do you spend most of your time fighting for you? Or do you spend most of your time fighting for someone else? And who needs you right now to fight for them? Because this is our problem right now in America. We are so isolated, so self-focused, so me, 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 me is everything that we can't even see the person in front of us. And then the idea to obey the command, to love beyond ourselves, to lay our lives down for someone else, like that just sounds ridiculous. No, it's not ridiculous. That's called 101 Christianity. That we would love others more than ourselves, that's 101 Christianity. How do we fight for other people? How are we fighting for anyone? Is there anyone in your life you're fighting for, you're preferring, you're going for their destiny above your own? Or is the whole consuming idea for you, what will you be? Who can you be? How much can you make? What's your career? What's your path? Is it all about your road? Or is there someone else that you're going, I'm going to fight for them until they step into the dream of God for them? Because, guys, if we spend all of our energy on ourselves, consumed on fighting for me, we've completely missed Jesus' command to love. And I'm telling you, the command to love, to come out of yourself, to fight for someone else, that is what sets you up to ward off offense and betrayal and hatred at a day and an hour when it's going to fill the earth. What are practical ways that you can fight for people? I think you can fight for people physically. You can lay your life down for people physically. Hey, man, can I buy you something? Hey, man, you need a jacket? You need a coat? You like my shirt? Have it. Here, I'm fighting for you. But, but there's other ways. What about in your thoughts? Just follow me. Just, I'm, I'm, I'm landing. How, how about in your head? Are you fighting for others in your mind? What do I mean by that? I mean this person does something you think is stupid, the enemy goes, dang, they're stupid. And you're like, yeah. And you're up in your head agreeing with the enemy about your brother or sister. Or maybe they've got a weakness. Or maybe Maybe they're challenged, or maybe their junk is on display, or maybe they're Peter, and they're, they're denying the Lord. Or maybe that, they're that little 11th grade girl that was in Publix that she was going to kill herself that night, and she looked terrible, all right? And maybe that's who they are. What are you thinking about them? The enemy is the accuser of the brethren. He's always talking trash about other people to you. If you're in agreement with that in your head, you are in agreement with the enemy. What about what you say? Do you let your mouth just go off and talk crap about people? Do, 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 when people aren't around you and you got your three close ones and you can say anything you want, do you really tell what you really think about those folk? And then when you see them, hi, praise God. Your words, your thoughts. But who else are you getting in the boat with right now? Guys, hear me. Who are you getting in the boat with right now? There's people in this room that need you. There's people in this room that need you. There's people that are not in this room that should be in this room that need you. And to the extent that we've agreed with the enemy in our minds and in our mouths, we can't be in the boat with them. They wouldn't want us in their boat. 
this is what it looks like to fight for one another's destiny. When you think about your friends in here, when you think about the ones that are not here, and the ones maybe that are not here tonight, but the ones that should be here and they're not anymore, when you think about that group, what, who, whose mentality do you have about them? Do you have heaven's mentality? We've got to contend for each other. We've got to fight for each other. Guys, I've been through some dark stuff. I've experienced some real, real darkness. And man, sometimes it was so thick on my mind, I couldn't get up through it. I needed a brother or I needed my wife or I needed someone to speak truth and speak love to me and grab me by the shoulders and say, hey, you're not going out like this. You are not going out like this. I'm not, I'm not letting you go out like this. I'm going to fight for you. I was in 11th grade. I'd been, I, I checked myself into school. Me and my friends had all gotten high. And we all thought we were going to be slick. We we're going to check in 15 minutes apart, all stoned out of our, our brains. Like, that was a really smart move. Like, all my friend group, each of us, 15 minutes apart, completely, you know, high. And, and, and so I get, in, I get in the principal's office because they send me immediately to the principal's office. And they go, okay, Mr. Humphrey, come in here. And I sit down, and there's all my friends. And we had already, we had, already had, we had a pact. Lie till you die. And so I'm ready to lie, 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 lie till I die. And my friend next to me, like, as soon as I sit down, he goes, don't lie. He knows everything. <laughs> he knows everything. I'm like, oh, crap. We're so busted. He goes, if you'll tell me that you were at Mr. So-and-so's house with all your friends before you got here, if you'll confess that, I'm only going to give you 10 days in school suspension. But if you lie to me, I will expel you right now. I was like, uh, my friend's going, like, they're right in front of him going, don't lie. Don't lie. Like, he knows. I go, yep, I was at his house. Solely him right there, me and him. We're together. He's 10 days in school. He goes, you get, you get in trouble for anything else. I'm expelling you. I am terrified. I was like, oh, what was stupid, so stupid. Thought I was being cool, thought I was having fun, thought I was checking myself in, whatever, whatever. Terrible. Watch this. I'll never forget this my whole life. I walk out of the man's office. I go like this, turn down the hallway, and I'm going to go to this. I'm going to go to my homeroom. Turn down the hallway. Halfway down the hall, facing the other direction, is the only Christian I know on the planet. He was our in-school suspension teacher. His name is Mr. Foster. He's a five foot four African American man. Probably weighed 130 pounds. The guy was full of Jesus. A spirit filled wild man. He's halfway down the hallway, facing the other direction. I, I see him. I'm like, oh gosh, I'm gonna have to like, skate around this guy. Okay, I'm just like, and I, he knows me. And I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna find my way around here. And I look up, and now I'm halfway to him. And I'm halfway to him. He does this. He just goes. He's looking right at me. I'm like, I can do this. I walk right up to him. I go, hi, Mr. Foster. It's exactly what he said. He looks me right in the eye. He goes, what they said is going to happen to you isn't going to happen to you. You're not going to get expelled. In fact, you're going to get your life right with God. You're going to serve Jesus. You're going to straighten up. You're going to be a man of God. You understand me? I go, yes, sir. Yeah. That's what I'm going to do, sir. <laughs> but there's sometimes, I mean, I mean, that put the fear of God in me. How did he even know I was there? The guy had just told me I was going to get expelled. How did he already know? It was freaky. How did he know I was going to be walking down that hallway? How did he know when he turned around? Like, I mean, it was just so scary. How did he know? It was God. And Mr. Foster was fighting for me. It felt like he grabbed me by the neck. He didn't. But it, just, it felt like he was like, you understand me, boy. Because the presence and the authority on his life to call a broken, jacked up kid out of his sin and into his destiny was on him. 
And he looked, he looked me in the eye and he called me out of that mess. And I wasn't perfect from that day forward, but man, I never forgot that. And he, that guy discipled me as the, as just in those first few years of my brand new, ugly, sloppy Christianity. He discipled me and I'd go see him and I'd go, hey, and, he, and I, I, every time I walk up to him and he always put his hand on me. And now I realize he's like laying his hands on me. There you are. <laughs> Sorry. And he put his hand on me. And uh, sorry, I broke the spirit. And he put his hand on me, and I'd say, I go, How's it going, Mr. Foster? He'd go, Good, 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 good things, good things, good things, good things going on, good things, good, 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 good. good. He'd say it like 25 times, right to me. He's like rubbing me. And, and I realized he was prophesying over my life good things, good things, good things. Good things. And there's another time. This was after that scary, scary moment. We were at a football game. Me and my, my bros, we were all going to go out. And after, the, after the football game, we were all going to get drunk. Like I said, I was still pretty sloppy in my Christianity. And I look up in the stands. There's Mr. Foster. I'm like, Doosh. well, it, we, we weren't higher drunk. So I was like, oh, go talk to him. Praise God. <laughs> he doesn't know what I'm going to do. Walk up there, sit right next to him. I'll never forget it. He goes, he's looking at the game like this. He goes, defense defense. We need defense. You need defense. You need to be on the defense against the enemy right now. He's trying to, I was like, oh my God. So scary. Five foot four, 130 pounds, scariest person I've ever met in my entire life. He got in my boat. He got in my boat. You understand? He got in my boat. He's fighting for me. And I'm probably not here right now without Mr. Foster. Like, like this is real, guys. Like, there's really people that need you. And we need one another. We all need each other. And that's the whole point is they're all going to hate us, but if we love us, we're going to stand for Jesus together. So I'm just, I'm just like begging you, compelling you to come out of agreement with the, the lies of the enemy about your brothers and sisters and, and others that maybe you don't appreciate, maybe you don't like them, maybe their style's not your style, maybe their attitude, whatever, whatever, whatever. I don't care what it is. Like, I don't care. They love Jesus, you love Jesus, you love them. That's it. That's it. And if you do something that causes offense, repent. Ask for forgiveness. And if you're offended, repent. Don't allow the footmen to take you out because I'm telling you, the horsemen are coming. Betrayal is going to Fill the airwaves. It's already filling the culture. What do you think cancel culture is? It's the heart of betrayal. They were all praising that dude a minute ago. Now Kanye can't sell a pair of shoes. Like seriously, I'm not trying to be funny. He can't sell a pair of shoes. Why? They canceled his butt. They betrayed him. They turned on somebody that they said they were loving. Do I agree with everything he said? Definitely not. But do you see how that works? They flip on you. Why betrayal at the end of the age? Last thought. Why betrayal? Why is that the activity of the enemy? How did Jesus get sold out? Betrayal. It's what the enemy's going to do. He's going to bring betrayal right back to the front door of the body of Christ. He brought it to Jesus the head. He's going to bring it against the church. Guys, oh, that we wouldn't be so foolish to fall into his traps and be a part of his plan and get weaponized against one another. That we would come out of unforgiveness, come out of offense, definitely not be into betrayal. And where we have done that, we repent, but we figure out how to get in the boat for someone else. Does that make sense?
Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message ministered to you and that the Lord met you. You can follow us on Instagram at gatekeepersatl. We'll see you in the next episode.